0: On the Empire podcast this week, the director of 80s-inspired sci-fi midnight special, Jeff Nichols, drops by to talk about moving through mud to this year's most unlikely superhero movie and tell us what really happened at the end of Take Shelter. Or oh, we hope. Hello, pod. I'm not Chris Hewitt. I'm not even Helen O'Hara. I'm Phil Desemlin, and in a coup worthy of Mikhail Kaladzikov's Soy Cuba or any other arty film involving a coup, I have seized control of the pod booth this week. Prepare yourself for hot movie chat about the Czech New Wave and a blow-by-blow of the 400 blows. But before all that fun stuff, it's time to welcome two colleagues of such ruse letal. First of all, a man whose love of the West Wing is so profound, when he flies to Scotland, he always on- insists on sitting on the left-hand side of the aeroplane. It's James Dyer. I, I don't understand that joke. Neither do I. Explain it to me. I don't know. My bro- it's my
1: brother's joke. Your brother's joke? Yeah. yeah. So, I like the West Wing, therefore I sit on the left well, side. Well, because when you're
0: flying north... So the, the that, left wing is the is the west wing. I
1: see. Yeah. I so
0: it's like a, it's a very meta- literal. Oh, It is very
1: literal. That's yeah. very literal. I'm, I, but no, but that's good.
0: It's a strong opening. Feel, strong well, he opening. thought it was metaphysical, but really? you're okay. right. It's quite literal. Never listen to the other. It's quite then. literal. Next up, a man whose simmering rage is so great, whose appetite for destruction is so unquenchable, he makes doomsday look like a kitten, a hundred foot CG kitten made mostly of dung, but still a kitten. It's John Nugent. <laughs> Hello. Hi, John. Hi. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling good. How are you feeling, Phil? I'm not used to sitting in this chair. You're
2: like the supply teacher. Yeah, um, sort of, um, and it feels like <laughs> this was a real last-minute sub in. Yeah. yeah, because
0: our regular host Chris Hewitt is ill and therefore unable to host this week's podcast. Chris sends his apologies to everyone. I think he's announced on Twitter that I will be doing the entire podcast in Czech, um, <laughs> which isn't the case. But I will be releasing it with subtitles later. Will you be deferring to uh, guest host Werner Herzog, who's waiting outside? Can you imagine Werner Herzog if he if he if he did a podcast? It'd be amazing. It'd <laughs> be incredible. It would all be about the needless futility of podcasts. <laughs> which <laughs> would leave everyone in ruins. Whole new levels of nihilism. Yeah. Why is
2: the Bangley
0: banging? <laughs> do we edit that bit out?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, see, but the, and this is the thing I'm sure long-time listeners of the podcast. The Bangley Bang thing was supposed to be a placeholder because obviously yeah. the Empire theme tune goes oh, yeah. Bangley Bang. Uh, and when Chris used to start up, he used to say Bangley Bang as a placeholder and it was supposed to be edited out by the editor and at some point i think it was ali presumably yeah. just thought it would be funny to leave it in and so it's now become like a catchphrase a stupid stupid it's catchphrase worst
2: catchphrase ever bangly yeah. bang. we got 200 bangly bang. people to say bangly bang in unison at the prince charles i mean yeah it's a, it's become a phenomenon
0: phenomenon i always thought was something Chris did to just get really pumped bangly bang yeah. <laughs> now now hans zimmers we're going to discover in the news section spoiler is retiring from doing superhero scores, maybe he can do a theme for the us. The latest victim of Didn't Batman v Dawn of Justice. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> <laughs> moving rapidly on, yeah. should we talk about the question of the week? Yeah. Shall we? All right, this question is from at Sam Garrett 7 and the question is, Hi, moving into my own place with my fiancé this week. Congratulations. That's awesome. Any outstanding moving films or scenes? And I'm assuming obviously scenes in which people are moving house what What? what else can you surely do? Surely there's in? only
1: one answer to this and that's the 1988 film Moving starring Richard <laughs> Briar um, You're so literal. I am very literal I, yeah, I saw that when it first came out uh, and I believe it stars, I didn't look this up at all beforehand, I'm just trying to remember it desperately. Uh, is it Randy, Randy Quaid as his neighbour with a colossal like industrial Batmobile-esque lawnmower and yeah. like, harasses him. And Richard Pryor uh, moves into a new house and, and, and he goes around, as you do in a house, uh, and uh, every time he says, oh, that's a nice bathtub, it's a nice life fitting, and they go, oh, they joke we're taking it with us! And they literally do it, <laughs> and he comes to the house and they have taken every fixture, every fitting, the toilets, the floors, the windows, they've taken everything. yeah, uh, and, and that's basically the plot of the film. And then it's him, you know, travelling there and doing stuff.
0: So not only do they have to live next door to Randy Quaid, but yeah. they've got no... Fittings, a, But this is the hook of the whole film, that he
1: moves to the new house and Randy Quaid's brother, who yeah. is identical in every way, with the same mower, lives next door to him at his new house. Uh, oh. He said, possibly making all of this up, bearing in mind I haven't seen this film since the late 80s. so It hasn't changed much. No, it before. probably hasn't. My recall, I- if I'm making this up, someone please please tell me. <laughs> We're please, if, to pass Randy yet. Quaid, if you're listening to this, please please call in. I don't think Randy Quaid
0: is listening to this. I think he's listening to the voices in his head. I think this podcast gets beamed into his head through (laughs) his feelings, so it's possible. That's possibly true. Um, First of all, at Sam Garrett 7, we don't want to put you off this because this is um, obviously a a seismic event in your life. Good luck with it. Um, But movies do seem to cast a slightly sort of negative pull on the idea of moving. It's kind of like either the neighbours are crazy, a la Pacific Heights, or you meet strange sort of supernatural creatures, a la My Neighbour Trottero. Nothing good seems to come of moving house in movies Can you think of any examples where things work out nicely? Poltergeist <laughs> Stepbrothers The stepbrothers Will
2: Farrell moves into John C. Riley's house and Yes And it all goes great I mean they have a wonderful time eventually Yeah uh, After a bit of, uh, you know, growing pains, shall we say Balls on drums, shall we say <laughs> Balls on drums So worst case,
1: vengeful spirits Best case, budding bromance Yes or Beetlejuice Yeah, Beetlejuice more- is a good one they like the moving in in that Yeah mm. And also they're quite friendly ghosts With a penchant for yeah, Kind you know,
0: of
2: Music Kind of um, There's um, Toy Story The sort of whole plot really hinges on yes. The upheaval yes. of the family There's also uh, Inside Out The whole plot hinges on the upheaval of the family Yeah uh, The Incredibles The whole plot hinges on the upheaval of the family you, Have you, you dictated some form of pattern?
0: <laughs> Tell us thing. more I've, There's a glitch in the Matrix oh. um, This is a bit of a recurring theme in Pixar maybe I think Pixar and, and the Miyazaki movies And yeah. the Ghibli movies yeah. They both plumb into that kind of yeah. childhood thing Of mm. you know what moving house is such a colossal upheaval When it you're is. a kid yeah. um, And I know that Pete Doctor obviously Based a lot of Inside Out on his own move From the Midwest to San Francisco yeah. And his daughter's experiences of that and, uh, yeah, it tends to be kind of a, an adjust- a painful adjustment in movies.
1: Well, it's one of the most stressful things you can do, isn't it, move house? And a lot of these uh, haunted house movies are kind of allegories for, you know, change, aren't they? Fear of the unknown, yep. fear of change, you know, we move into a new house, there's blood in the bathtub, it, the house has gone, get out! Uh, <laughs> and, you know, there's stuff that happens when you move. Um, the Haunted Mansion. Everyone see Eddie Murphy's The Haunted Mansion? No. No? Definitely for the best. Really? Definitely for the best. You're moving house, aren't you, in the the reasonably near future? In the reasonably near future, I will be moving house. And if at no point the house tells me to get out, (laughs) I will be disappointed. And if I'm not possessed by some kind of evil spirit and or a mirror, um, again, uh, cinema will have lied to me. If if
2: Joel Edgerton starts leaving you little presents on your doorstep, then... What, like flaming bags of dog poo that kind of thing (laughs) no is this what we're thinking of I was thinking more you know just sort of passive aggressive uh, gifts as in the film The Gift The Gift yes it's fraught isn't it if you watch movies
1: you'd never do anything would you that's a good point you wouldn't move house you wouldn't go out you wouldn't cross the road you wouldn't go to war
0: you wouldn't go to prison (laughs) Uh, you wouldn't go to prison no try and avoid that I think that's good advice you wouldn't go to war you attempted, and then you watched, say Saving Ronnie Ryan. I lately. did, and I, I lo- thought. I thought. No, I it. I thought. You, you know what? I, thought. I was looking to do an Omaha yeah. Beach landing, and now it doesn't look as much fun. No.
1: Uh, in the spirit of non sequiturs, I'm going to say. Obviously, we've just had Easter, and we're in the pod booth, which we share with another a uh, number of other brands uh, uh, in this building. Someone has left an unattended cream egg. Oh, nice! In the middle of the table here. No, it's attended. Um, it's ooh. it's not attended. Don't try and snatch <laughs> it. And I've been staring at it. Would it be it's wrong for me to eat this? If you can tell me its name in Polish, it's yours. I'm no, I'm in charge. Give it back. No, no I'm not giving it back. I'm opening the egg. I'd offer to anyway. share it, but sharing a cream egg is, is you
0: know... Here you've we lost can. control already, Supply Teacher. So this you is have. us not living together, odd couple style, yeah. or, or trio style. That's not possible. Um... Some of the worst radio I've ever heard. (laughs) We've done some bad things in our time. Um, Let's move on to the week's movie news. Mm, We've already referred to one of the things that's been on the agenda, which is this revelation that Hans Zimmer has scored his last superhero movie. What do we think about that?
2: I mean, yeah, Batman vs Superman has obviously taken its toll, as it has on many of us. Um, (laughs) I will will step right in here
1: now Mm. and call out John for that. So... Mm. My favourite part of Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice is Wonder Woman throwing down with Doomsday. And I particularly like her theme tune, which I have been told is not an electric guitar, but is in fact an electric Electric cello, cello, yes. fact fans. Mm. Uh, Yet John thinks it is the worst thing to happen to sound since the Big Bang. John's an
0: insatiable rage monster. (laughs) Yeah. This happens.
2: I realise I'm in the minority here. I realise that this is, you know happily stepping into the apparent stereotype that I've lived up to as a rage machine who destroys careers. But I hated that soundtrack. I'm sorry. It's
0: almost... I have some
2: respect. It's really bad. And I say this as a massive Hans Zimmer fan. I love Hans Zimmer. I went to see Hans Zimmer live performing in Stella at the Royal Albert Hall last year. It was one of the greatest cinematic experiences of my life. But... I thought the soundtrack was an affront to music wonder <laughs> woman's theme in particular just made me roll my eyes back into my head and it fell out the back of my head and i had to get an usher to help scoop them up it was appalling absolutely appalling and it just didn't fit in that film junkie xl you know did a great job on mad max fury roads and that's because it was you know enjoyably ridiculous and it had a sense of its own ridiculousness Batman vs Superman did not. I'm, so, I'm sorry, you've got me on a rant now. I've, yeah, we I've have got, got really and that yellow was not
1: Junkie XL. That was in fact that was that was, that Zimmer, was Zimmer. It? Zimmer. Really, you have just dissed the man himself. I'm happy to. I'm, I, I'm not happy to. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Hans Zimmer. <laughs> sorry, Hans. He didn't mean it. God. No, it's great. And you know, it made me want to pick up a gladius, strap on some
0: boots and a bustier, and, and go and stab something. Yeah, please don't. Sorry. Um, John, tell us what you really feel about that soundtrack we had it on at the office actually we had it on before we saw the film yeah and i found it a little stressful in the context of the film it doesn't get much less stressful no. but then that wonder woman motif Um first of all it's a motif which is fun hope we see it in the sequel i know that's going to put you off um but it was just it was a little fun grenade lobbed into a um into a bit of a poe faced vacuum as far as i was concerned so every time she turned up there's something fun happened with the music at least but it does sound like this soundtrack took its toll on yeah old hands. Well, this is a shame
2: because the the, the the one part of the soundtrack I really did like is the Man of Steel theme, which I think is brilliant. I, that that sort of you know hopeful yeah. of, I think that's really nice. And his um his Dark Knight stuff is really really strong. I think some of the best yeah soundtracks for superheroes
0: we've had.
1: And to hear these thoughts and many more. On Batman v Superman, Cole on Dawn of <laughs> Justice,
0: by all means, do download our spoiler podcast. I do the segways here. Sorry, Pastor. <laughs> Am I stepping in new tires? You have not been to Segway Academy. Um, yes, for all these and other revelations.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, yes, you know, but he more than just about anyone, maybe apart from Christopher Nolan, has, has helped establish the kind of language or the, the, the sound, at least, of yeah. this new sort of more earthy superhero he's constructed thing. constructed a, a, a kind of Zimmer frame, if you will. Oh dear, I won't. But yes. <laughs> That's not mm. bad, actually. That's, that one's so for you, bad. Chris. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm taking on shit humour duties, because Chris isn't <laughs>
2: <do. laughs> uh, No, well, the, here's the thing. He's not retiring from composing. No. You know, he's no. still a very prolific soundtrack composer and just, you know, regular composer. And uh, we look forward to many more of his soundtracks. Uh, just
0: hopefully not on Wonder Woman. No. Well, I mean, I think you're right. He maybe just feels like he's exhausted all of his ideas. Yeah. But maybe he'll go away and, you know, have a break and yeah. refresh his eardrums, ear get back to it. I don't know. But it yeah. sounds like it's a permanent decision on his behalf that he's been mulling over for a while. Yeah. Um, which brings me completely unrelatedly onto the lego <laughs> batman trailer wow. of course it does what what we we there were two in fact
1: yeah. loved it loved it and i'm not a lego fan and i wasn't a lego movie fan uh and i am an enemy of all things fun as you all well know uh but really really enjoyed the uh lego batman trailer I thought it was loads of fun uh the little references to the other films you know I, I, yeah lovely want to see it now yes uh against my better judgment so
0: i love ray fines in all things he does but i quite already enjoy his um alfred Mm. His voice work on Alfred's. Yeah. He's a very, very, very gifted comic actor, Ray Fiennes, I think we we all know. But um, I think he's going to be great. He hasn't done a lot of voice work, has he? No. Uh,
2: Yeah, those trailers are amazing. I mean, it was such good timing as well. I think the first one came out the day that Batman vs Superman Mm. was released, and it couldn't have been sharper (laughs) contrast. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, you've got the most serious, po-faced, sort of uh, portentous film to come out in donkeys, and then this, yeah... Delightful, lovable little Lego Batman comes along.
1: Yeah. Am I wildly in the minority to say I didn't wildly enjoy Lego Batman in the Lego Movie? Yes, Is it's I, I think it was
2: fine, but yeah. it didn't. It, it wasn't the the standout performance in that film for me. Um, Come on, did you not like the um, the song at the end? The uh,
0: darkness. Yes. No parents. I, I, yes, I that, that that made me genius. smile fractionally from one side of my mouth. <laughs> um, <laughs> fair enough. What do we think of the cut back to the uh, '60s Adam West Batman in the trailer? Like I, it. I like the reference to it, and in
1: and whatever years they yeah. were, and he goes. Through, it's you know that was very good. That yeah, was
0: very nice. No, no, nice bit of nodding there, a nice looks. gambit which brings me on oh, to <laughs> oh, you're like a segway demon mm-hmm. wow you've summoned me from 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 a land that's related to what you just said um <laughs> yes say, uh, gambit not actually gambit itself but related to gambit doug Lyman is is no longer doing gambit next um he is doing a film called the wall john yes it? so yeah he's he's doing a psychological thriller Called the Wall, I think it's an
2: interesting move I think, it, I mean maybe it's more notable for the fact that it's meaning Gambit is sort of having a bit of trouble there, you know, it was supposed to come out this year, it was originally I think had a release date of autumn this mm, year It did. It lost the director at one point, was it Rupert, uh, Rupert Wyatt. Wyatt. Rupert Wyatt was supposed to direct it, he dropped out now it seems to be sort of floating around in midair at the moment. Like, they're, they're Fox have said it's probably coming out next year. They haven't really said when or or when it will start shooting. So I guess this one has priority for Doug Liman. Uh, we think, I mean, Gambit
0: is still a going concern, isn't it? And yeah. Tatum's still involved. There has been some rumours of sort of manoeuvring in terms of the casting and such. But you'd think after Deadpool's ridiculously colossal success... They're not going to let this one just drift too much further. But it sounds like this is a movie that, that Doug Liman can just make reasonably quickly. It's quite mm. a small con- con- conceit. Um, kind of a cat and mouse sniper film set in Iraq, okay. I believe. Um, so kind of a uh, sort of enemy of the gates, but maybe on a smaller scale. And it's been compared to uh, Locke, the Tom Hardy mm. kind of oh, yeah, right. one Character or several characters, but one kind of one visible character. If indeed there have been snipers on the M5, if indeed there don't even suggest such a thing, but yeah, the the idea that um yeah that there's these two characters, they're enemies, but they have a way of communicating with each other. Um, it was a uh, it was a blacklist script from 2014, and it was really highly rated. Okay. So it does seem like a, a good one for for Doug Lyman. He's so he's a director I really like. Just to sort of while away the hours while he waits for them to pull their collective gambit fingers out. Is there any more news that we'd like to discuss?
1: It's not, I won't, I, I'm not going to lie, it's not been a massive week for news. Uh, but that said, I was very, very excited to hear. Now, this is, this is a thing I didn't know existed. And some of you may know Aliens is my all-time favourite film. Uh, but the planet in Aliens, which is referred to originally as Archeron but gets kind of retconned to LV426. In American date structuring, 426 is the 26th of April. So apparently the 26th of April is unofficial Aliens Day this is a thing and to coincide with that this year Reebok are finally releasing those abominable kind of (laughs) shin high sneakers that they uh, that you see Ripley wearing in Aliens Um, uh, they're, they're they're a modern marvel and apparently they're also releasing the kind of high top versions which Bishop wore in the film and i mean they're the it's the worst footwear in the world <laughs> and i'm absolutely getting a pair to wear to work every day please don't um it's amazing but you take this and you take you know back to the future 2 it seems that the worst thing we ever projected about the future was fucking footwear it's absolutely hilarious just just these things that people were going to wear on their feet and it never really happened i feel cheated they're not that bad though are they have you have you seen them? They're I have kind of, seen them. Yeah. They're grey and orange with velcro velcro straps, and they're you
2: know they're properly you know way up at the top of the shins. Yeah. The thing is, James, your sort of fashion sense is sort of <laughs> muted at best. I would say you know at the moment you're wearing
0: a very sort of a, a red and white check gingham dress and army boots. <laughs> uh, I would describe it as it's kind of Viet Cong informal, <laughs> right? Okay, it's very yeah, sort of like yeah. single primary colour. String of pearls, ready for evening wear. I,
1: I'm off duty. Jason Bourne was what I was going <laughs> for. Off
2: duty, Jason
0: Bourne, yeah. Re- long retired, Jason yeah. Bourne.
2: Yeah, I'd would call it TK Max neutral. Ooh. Um, Ooh, ouch, ouch. <laughs> I think you, I, I think it might just stand out compared to the rest of your. So You don't think I could pull off the uh, th- these particular?
1: Please come things. in wearing those and a jumpsuit. If anyone from Reebok is listening, please send us a pair of these shoes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a size ten, uh, and, and I f- promise to wear them to work and a cad. And a cat, yes, and and Jones as well. We could use a cat in the office. Yes, she also cat. wears those kind of those really slightly odd military uh, grey cargo pants with them, uh, which are not, and she tucks
0: them into the top of the trainers. It's not a great look. It's not a great look. It must, must take such a long time to put them on. They look really complicated to like put on a lot of strapping and lacing and all sorts. Do you even cry asleep for like? All right, twenty years. Yeah, and then it's another five years. Just to put your shoes on. It is funny though when you look at '80s films, and
1: even when they're set in space or you know in the past, wherever it's like the, the sort of the taint of '80s fashion just sort of looms over all. Yeah, you know, in Aliens, it's these trainers. Let's be honest, that's it. Uh, and to a certain extent, uh, Sigourney Weaver's hair.
0: I don't know how I've got sidetracked onto this, but it's happened. This is amazing. Should we should it's we a like fashion week special? It is a fashion Empire. week. It's, this is it. Yeah, I have some news. Go on then. Uh the first Baywatch
2: image came along today. First yeah. lineup of the Baywatch team, the new Baywatch starring The Rock. It's all very exciting if you like, you know, lifeguards and slow motion running. Uh so we the, the lineup includes uh John Bass, Alexandra Daddario, The Rock, Kelly Rawback, Ilfan Cedera and Zac Efron. Um mm. and they're all looking very tanned and wearing skimpy costumes. There's another costume we could talk about skimpy the Baywatch speedos speedos Mm. yeah it's a terrible terrible picture it's odd it does look odd I'm not going to lie they all look a bit drunk Um, the original Baywatch promo shots seem to have them all like perfectly aligned all running you know in slow motion and they all looked really sort of uh, good and they sort of don't in this photo. I don't know. It's really hard to know what to make of it. It's it's
1: it's it's like the kind of picture that your friend takes of you at a party on their iPhone when you're kind of or or you are a would be Prime Minister and you're trying to eat a sandwich. You know, that that kind of picture. And like people are gurning, falling over I mean everyone looks dreadful in it. It's a really odd still to release for a film based on a series of about beautiful people jiggling. Um, I don't know. I'm not quite sure what the strategy was there. Oh, it's
0: a really weird. You're right. It's a really They've had a long time to come up with the, the best picture. So either one, was of, it. one of them ruins every single <laughs> shot or I don't know. But Seth Gordon, the director who made Horrible Bosses, is pitching this film as the Avengers meet Anchorman. Yeah. Which rather implies that at least one major character is going to be eaten by Dobby. Um, one can only hope because it just seems a bit like what on earth is this movie? Maybe mm. the Chitari just swoop in
2: on the beach in the third act and and then yeah. kill a guy with
0: a trident kill a guy with a trident yeah Intr- intriguing I think is the most generous kind of conclusion you can make I hey, don't look, know
2: what it is is it a
0: comedy is it it's a comedy uh,
2: I think it's in like the um, the vein of Starsky and Hutch where it's a sort of semi-serious uh, TV series that's been transposed to a yeah, comedy you okay. know um, so it's a sort of it's almost a parody I think it's a wry take on the old series I don't know with The Rock in charge I'm going to watch it I think I I will watch anything with The Rock I I adore The Rock, I love The Rock Do we know, I mean I I haven't really
1: followed who plays who and I didn't watch the original series so I don't know quite how it relates but uh, Alexandra Dadara she's not The Rock's love interest in the film is she? Because that would upset me a little bit
2: having seen San Andreas. It's possible (laughs) I don't think think so so I think The Rock is essentially the David Hasselhoff role Uh, David Hasselhoff is cameoing in this by the way which is great news Um, I think so Kelly Rawback is playing the Pamela Anderson role. And I think they traditionally were a couple at one point. I, I don't know. I, I've never watched Baywatch. We had point. the Hoff on this very podcast last
1: year, which is very exciting. Mm. Uh, although, frankly, I mainly talk to him about Knight Rider. Why
0: not? Yeah. Does he have happy memories
1: of Knight Rider? He does, yeah. So do I. I'm playing Michael Knight's evil twin with an evil goatee. Yeah.
0: Before we move on from news, there is a new issue of Empire Magazine. Yes. On sale this week. I've heard of Empire Magazine. What's in it? What's it? John, tell us what's in it.
2: Lots of stuff. Well, on the cover, we have X-Men Apocalypse. There are, in fact, nine covers you can buy. Uh, and if you buy all nine of them, then it makes a big, nice sort of image yeah. of, of Apocalypse and the various X-Men. If you're a subscriber, you will have got a poster with all of these images combined and it looks really nice. That's cool. So you really should be a subscriber. So we've got 16 pages, 16 pages of coverage on X-Men Apocalypse. Chris was on the set. He interviewed Brian Singer and pretty much everyone, everyone involved right down to the grip and the Gaffer. Uh, the, the Gaffer. runner who made him a cup of tea. And it's really good. Uh, I've read it and it is really interesting and made me very excited for
0: the film. Um, so that's exciting. What else have we got? We've got some amazing... I mean, Chris also um, got some incredible early concept art from Kingsman 2. Mm,
2: that's a Superworld exclusive, right? It yes. is a massive Superworld exclusive.
0: the revelation
1: of the title. That's the right. Which is... Which we're not going to say on the podcast, because otherwise there's no reason for
0: people to go buy the magazine. Yeah, nicely done. of that. Nicely done. Yeah, you see mm-hmm. what it did? Clever. Yeah. Um, there's some beautiful pictures of, of, of the second movie, which has a more global feel if anything it seems to me there's some sort of jungle as a kind of a jungle a jungle lair which is where we'll find Julianne Moore as the villain of the piece um, and an organization called the statesman um, which who, who seem to operate in some from some sort of Jack Daniels distillery um, so check those out and a great picture from ghostbusters mm. showing the ladybusters in action um, with their proton packs what else S- so Star Wars
2: uh the Force Awakens is out on DVD and Blu-ray in April and Nick has done a brilliant viewing guide with quotes from key crew members, uh, editors and production designers and that sort of thing and it, that's really interesting. I had to go to Disney's offices to watch Star Wars because they wouldn't give us a copy because it's so secretive uh, and I wrote down the the running times so if you see cool. the running times that's my handiwork you know enjoy those numbers because i enjoyed the running times i found them Mm. largely accurate yeah if you
1: want to know how bb-8 and indeed r2 came to possess the maps showing them where (laughs) luke skywalker is then
0: all is revealed in the viewing guide and yeah. it's entirely convincing. It's really interesting stuff, though. We got—I mean, you've heard a lot from obviously JJ Abrams and the cast, mm. and 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 uh, Kathleen Kennedy, the producer, but the the people, the craftsmen that kind of created the, the some of the some of the creature designers, uh, concept artists, and the editors who have a really unusual kind of uh, angle on the film—told us some of the stuff that I haven't really, you know, seen before or mm. heard in all of the pre-pre kind of preamble for the movie so it's really worth checking out there's also an interview with the great cockney actor don cheadle ah um, oh, yes <laughs> in which he talks about his directorial debut miles ahead a sort of miles davis kind of biopic yeah, yeah. um and also a little bit about the future of roadie Mm. Um, who is looking, things are looking not great for him, are they, in the trailer? Potentially a massive spoiler in there, if anyone wants to check it out. (laughs) Uh, Well worth reading. There's also that brilliant feature about people falling down. Yes, there's a stuntman feature. Um, It's part of the trade that we've kind of, the magazine has has touched on previously down the years, but this is a really incredible story about two of the sort of great stuntmen from the, from the, the days when stuntmen were stuntmen. Yeah. yeah. When Lee Majors when was... Lee Majors, uh, yeah. yeah. They were cashing, they were writing checks that their, you know, <laughs> internal organs weren't going to cash. Yeah. The men that make Eastwood look so fine. Pretty much. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, I spoke to um, the men behind Green Room, which is a incredibly violent, but very, very, very good um, kind of exploitation, thriller, horror Set in the Pacific Northwest by Jeremy Saulnier, who I got on the phone with, um, and Macon Blair, who, if you've seen Blue Ruin, which is also really, really good, this is a sort of a step up in scale for them. They've got Patrick Stewart um, to continue the X-Men theme um, on this one, and Anton Yelchin. um, And it's a terrific film, and I've just kind of got, tried to get under the skin of the violence. You know, we see a lot of violence in movies, but they have an interesting slant on it. And uh, they talked about kind of how they put this together, and some of the scenes in the film will stay with you for a while um, in a good way. It's powerful stuff. Um, and Game of Thrones, season six is coming. Yeah. Winter is coming. Uh, spring is coming, and we have spoken to lots of people involved in that. yeah,
2: we also got uh, Tom Holland, who's a very notable historian, to write about the historical influences on George R. R. Martin's plots, which is very interesting. yeah, and very worth
0: a-, a nice a nice, fresh slant on it. And mm. last, but very much not least, Alvaro and Helen O'Hara on Joan Crawford and Nicholas Ray's collaboration, Johnny Guitar, which is Mm. a very interesting piece of filmmaking uh, that was very sort of left field at the time it was released. Um, The story behind that is well worth a look. Uh, Just for those of you who are following
1: last week's podcast, Emma Thrower, again, not Uh, present on this podcast, has still, (coughs) still failed to watch Die Hard. So this is this is an ongoing concern. It's, James, it's growing beyond a joke. I James, think,
2: have you watched Citizen Kane? I will watch Citizen oh, Kane there we go. when she
1: watches Die Hard and not before. No, this you is both my watch condition. It. You can't no. wait
2: for her to watch Die Hard. You I'm just gotta, ransoming. You just got to watch it. No. I'm
1: ransoming Kane. Mega Burn yeah. from John Nugent. Good work. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm not doing it. You have to watch Once Citizen Kane. You have to watch
0: Citizen
2: Kane.
1: Once she gets to Die Hard with a vengeance, I will watch Citizen Kane and then I will let her off
2: the other two. Right, and I think that's perfectly fair. I mean, it, it the a film is two hours long. What have you done in your day that that is more worthwhile than watching? I Citizen don't K? understand
1: how I could possibly have fitted in between watching the
2: entirety of season
1: two of Bosch and season two of Daredevil. It would have been very, very tricky for me.
2: Are you honestly saying that season two of Daredevil is better than the greatest film ever made? I don't believe it's the greatest film ever made, he says, having not seen the film.
1: <laughs> but I think that this is one of these myth things, that when everyone, whenever a film critic is asked, what is your favourite film, or what is the best film, oh, it's Citizen Kane, it's Citizen Kane, where secretly they want to say Nuns on the Run, and they don't want to
2: say it because they think they'll be ridiculed in some way. But it's not, it's not about... It's not, uh, we're getting into a tangent here, but it's not about... Uh, the favorite film. It's about the greatest film. Is you know, it the greatest? Sight film? and sound voted it the greatest film of all time for fifty years. Yeah, Of course, they did. And that was a you know academics, filmmakers, critics all said that it was the best film ever made. But this is a film, and it's also the most important film, the most influential film, the Christ,
0: most sort of. I'm just going to fade you out. At this point. <laughs> <laughs> Not being funny. <laughs> That's fair. Right. You have to. The, I'm in charge, substitute teacher. Yeah. You have to stop giving Emma. A a grief for not having seen Die Hard until you've seen Citizen Kane, which was in the news this week. Did you see that? What, but I hadn't seen Citizen Kane? This made the news? <laughs> yes. Surely not. Yes. Yes, film journalist hasn't seen most important <laughs> film ever made. Wow. That's uh, a news story. Um, I think we should maybe, should we welcome our guest to this Let's, Ac- have a Let's have a guess. And our, of... our guest is Orson Welles. <laughs> yes. No, it's not Orson Welles. Starting out with shotgun stories, he made for twenty-seven dollars fifty in a bag of Reese's Pieces, in which he edited in a shop. He's gone on to make finely crafted Southern Gothic tales, "Take Shelter" and "Mud," and he's best friends with Zod. For his fourth movie, Jeff Nichols has reunited with Michael Shannon, added Joel Edgerton, Kirsten Dunst, Adam Driver, and newcomer Jaden Labarher into the mix. Midnight Special is an Amblin-inspired sci-fi guaranteed to make fans of Close Encounters and E.T. feel all warm and glowy inside. Our Emma Thrower went along to ask him all about it.
4: So we're delighted to welcome to the Empire podcast, Mr. Jeff Nichols. Hi. You are back on the podcast on number 60 for Mud. great. You described Midnight Special as sort of a present-day tale, but with some kind of supernatural elements. In the Spielbergian way, I'm sure you're pretty sick of hearing Spielberg keep popping up throughout
3: this. I like Spielberg.
4: (laughs) This is a film not about the thing that we think it is. It's presented as about the supernatural, but it's about parenthood, the way Jaws isn't about the shark. Do you think that's a a fair assumption, fair thing to say?
3: Oh, it's definitely true for this film. You know, I've kind of always had this balance between genre and these kind of personal dramas mm-hmm. it, it almost feels like the two help each other if i was just to make a genre film maybe it would be you know hollow and soulless <laughs> if i was just to make a personal drama maybe it'd be melodramatic and nobody would ever go see it so it feels like knowing that i'm working in both at the same time uh-huh. it kind of allows me to to push both further in a strange way mm-hmm. It allows me to have fun with the genre elements and to have two guys in a car with night vision goggles on, you know, which is kind of absurd because I know that at some point you're going to get to know who those guys are and hopefully feel something very, very personal about them. And so, yeah, there's something about that balance that that helps make it possible
4: trailers just at the moment seem to be you know, force-fed so much information from so many films. Sure. And recently, I'd say Cloverfield and Star Wars have been very clever, and your film definitely, definitely goes with that. There's so much that could be spoiled, and I'm, I'm not even going to go into. But how do you sort of feel about the marketing of a film like this? Do you actually get much of a say in what you want the audience to be fed before well, they see it?
3: Well, you know, E1 is releasing this film here in the UK. I owe them a lot, because they released Mud here in the UK. Mm-hmm. But Warner Brothers was kind of heading up the marketing, and, I, and I'm pretty sure E1, they made some slight changes, but they They kind of took their cues out of the trailers that came out of Warner Brothers, and I was absolutely involved. Um, They've been really more than on any other film I've done, actually. They've really wanted to know what I think and am am I happy. And I remember the first the first trailers they sent, they did. They tried to explain the whole movie in two minutes. And I, I just called them and said, guys, I can't explain the movie in two hours. Like there's no <laughs> way you guys can do it in two minutes. Um, it's just that kind of movie. So let's not try that. Yeah. You know? Let's just try to, to cut together trailers that give people a sense of what the movie is, the tone of it, you know. Let's use that theme that's in the film. And then here's a list of things that you can't show. In fact, there were things that I said, I know you have to show something blowing up. Right. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> Something happening with the kid. Like, I get that. So then let's make this rule don't show anything in sequence so if these three shots coordinate and are all really cool shots that need to be in the trailer but if they're back to back in the film let's break them apart so Mm -hmm. that you can have this thing falling from the sky and then this thing blowing up over here let's let's do that and then there was this very specific list of you you can't show these things they really listened to that I was quite shocked I was ready for them to tell me you know the same thing I got told on mud which was you're just a director this (laughs) is our job let us market the film which I found really a offensive sure. on mud, to be honest, because i lived with this movie for 10 years. Yeah. Like, no, I actually, I've got some things to say, but they didn't want to hear them, you know, but Warner Brothers was quite the opposite.
4: Which you think would be the complete flip for us with a bigger budget I know, budget from- I know,
3: no. These people were, I mean, thoughtful and creative, like the things they were coming up with were so smart. I mean, with the website and everything else, like mm-hmm. the website they designed, like it changes throughout the day. Like if, if you visited it at night, it, it's different than during the day. Like some really, really smart stuff
4: talking of it being a bigger budget film was there one moment where you sort of just went wow okay this is this is different
3: yeah when um and my son was on set Mm -hmm. this one day and I guess when we were making this he was about three and I was ready to like become the coolest dad ever and I said Sam look daddy's gonna make a helicopter land right there and sure enough you know like 10 seconds later a helicopter freaking comes out of the sky and lands right where I say it's going to land and I look over and my son's in the ditch playing with a crawdaddy that only had one claw and he was fascinated with that and couldn't care less he just had his hands over his ears because the helicopter was too loud so that kind of backfired on me but, um, but I was impressed you know like we were standing so, in the middle of this giant highway that we closed down and brought in all these Humvees and all these guys in, in soldier uniforms and I landed a, two helicopters right in the middle of the road and it was just like all right I like this. This is this is big movie making.
4: People will see from the trailer, you've got an amazing little bit that, well, a huge bit that happens at a gas station, which is an amazing scene. You balance, obviously, a lot of very realistic stunts with some CG stuff. What was the biggest challenge, technically, on this film in that respect?
3: You know, the car chases were something I'd never really dealt with before. Yeah, and they're pretty intense. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, and we really take car chases for, for granted, I think, these yeah. days because they're kind of perfunctory. Like, when I watch them in movies, usually I just kind of turn my brain off and you kind of forget the amount of artistry that goes into making a car chase work there are a lot of people involved in it and it's a shame that this thing that is technically really awesome i just don't really care about in movies because you know, it almost seems like in some of the later Bourne films, it's like you can just see in the script, like, and the chase happens <laughs> yeah. here. Mm-hmm. And then they just kind of skip down, and they know they'll fill that in. <laughs> um, but it, it's kind of superfluous to the whole movie. You, you don't really need it. There's no character advancement within that scene or yeah. no dynamics. Now, not in the first born film. That car chase is really it's good, amazing. actually. You know, when he's pulling the e-brake and all that stuff in the mini. But um, that was a technical thing. And shooting at night, shooting so much footage at night was difficult.
4: But you work with the same VFX guys you did on Take Shelter, right? Yes,
3: yes. And the same cinematographer and the mm-hmm. same gaffer. You know, I surround myself by my same crew, but specifically for the for the visual effects stuff. Yeah, it was a company called Hydraulics yes. at LA.
4: And talking to people you surround yourself with, how can I not mention Michael Shannon? Is it impossible for you to write a script and not think of him?
3: I wouldn't say it's impossible, <laughs> but um, it's just so easy to write for Mike. Yeah. Because he's so good. And, you know, like, there's some pretty heavy lines in this movie that could be Pretty darn cheesy. Sure. Like you ride them, and you're like, ah, I don't know if I can get away with that because I I keep it pretty close to the vest in terms of cheesiness. I like to think so. Some people disagree. But um, when you know that Mike Shannon's going to be the one delivering the line, you know it's going to be better. Mm-hmm. Like you know he's going to make it sound good. And he does, you know, there's one scene in particular that I'm thinking of for this film.
4: That I like worrying about you, the one in the trailer. Yeah, Not an ounce of cheese, not a gram of cheese. Well,
3: thank you, I, I'm I glad, because that could have been a whole, like, you know, grilled cheese sandwich. <laughs> and uh, and But with, with Mike doing it, you're listening, yeah. and you're affected by it. Because I was affected when I wrote the scene, you know, I, I really thought that kind of summed up a lot of the way I was feeling about being a parent and things, but... It could still have been really bad, and, and and Mike just delivered it perfectly. He saved it. Yeah, for sure. He saved my career. <laughs>
4: Moving on to Adam Driver Is it true that he found out He'd got his role on Star Wars On his first day on set?
3: He didn't find out But the, the trade announcements came out So he uh, already okay. knew Okay, yeah,
4: yeah But you guys but, had But the... we were
3: the morons The lemmings <laughs> kind of running around Going, oh, Star Wars That's amazing and He he's kind of was like Yeah, yeah, yeah We're here to do this movie
4: <laughs> you, uh, you said to us in the magazine That you felt like a small blip On a very large radar for him Yeah What's it like knowing that You've sort of been there At the beginning For someone who was about to go Completely stratospheric
3: Oh, I don't know I mean, I said this about adam i think he's gonna become one of the most important actors of my generation definitely and it's easy to say that with the star wars component but i think there's going to be more than that i think you're going to look back on his career and you're going to say wow that guy that guy was putting up some of the most important work of that decade of those two decades three decades hopefully he works for a very long time i'm quite impressed with him as an actor
4: yeah he's something And so is Jaden, your little... I mean, the the heart of the whole film. He's got such a huge weight to carry. With Ty Sheridan, previously, Jessica Chastain helps you, and you told us this on the previous podcast, but how did you find him after that very long search...
3: We did a search very similar to the one we did in Mud, sure. which wasn't necessarily searching for Ty because he came to us from Tree of Life yeah. through Jessica and through Sarah Green, my producer. But we, we had a search for Neckbone, Jacob Laughlin, yeah. and, and that was a big, wide search, and that movie would have fallen apart without that character, and I thought Jacob nailed it. Absolutely. But kind of what I learned through that process is you have to really understand a character trait you really have to understand what it is about that character that makes them tick and then you need to go try and find that in a kid because they're not going to be these shapeshifters like Joel Edgerton and Mike Shannon you know they're going to have to embody that personality trait kind of walking in the door and so you know we did this other another huge search the southeastern part of the United States and the funny thing was he was just sitting there all along my casting director had already been talking about him an agent from CAA which is my agency sent me his headshot and I was reluctant because I don't like kids that have been in other films yeah partly because they they sometimes get ruined by the process you know they start to really perform for you they think they're doing a good job but really they're just you know you can tell that they're kind of tap dancing for you yeah but that wasn't the case with Jaden. he walked in and I I knew the personality trait that I was looking for was was awareness, an awareness to the situation that you're in and and he had that he had that in spades he just walked in he was obviously highly intelligent but he wasn't performing for me he just was very comfortable in the situation that he was in he seemed very wise beyond his years and he seemed very aware of what was happening around him and I knew once I saw that that we could make the film work
4: I saw Joe do an interview where he said that Jaden has seen all of the films. He's seen the Outsiders. He was like, "How? How has this kid already seen the Outsiders?" It's <laughs> funny. I didn't know that.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. His mom's Angie's really awesome and not at all, you know, that kind of stage mom attitude that you hear about in your head. But also, Jaden, I think he just—I'm a big believer that kids kind of come out pre-programmed sure. with their personalities and things. I think he just—he just seems like somebody that stepped into the world kind of fully formed.
4: Without saying anything, how do you know sort of just how far you can push things here? There's kind of a fine line between force-feeding the audience with too much information and the ambiguity and letting us work it all out for ourselves. How do you kind of walk that fine line when you when you wrote the script for this?
3: Well, the script is the leanest script I've ever written. So it was designed this way from the beginning. Yeah. But there was actually one instance in particular, and when you see the film you'll understand, uh, where we, we did, Warner Brothers allowed us to go back and, and shoot an additional scene Uh, But that's the only one that we really, really tweaked. Um, It's a scene with Kirsten at the end of the film Uh where she cuts a braid off out of her hair. Um, That was never in the script originally. And when you start to show these films to people, um, you have to to judge their responses in a really specific way. It's kind of like reading tea leaves. People don't always ask for what they need sure they ask for what they want but what they want isn't always what they need and just because somebody wants more information or less information that doesn't mean that that's the right answer and that I should go out and supply that for them you know but in this particular case with the scene with Kirsten it really was this kind of barrier between the end of the film in my original version she just turns and kind of walks into these woods okay and I was completely fine with that I thought it was kind of elegant (laughs) but nobody else did and uh and so people just kept saying like where where'd she go where'd she go and um, luckily I came up with a with an answer that I thought was in keeping with the style of the rest of the film you yeah. know and didn't feel overly expository or anything like that it, it it felt like story it felt like something that made sense within the film but um, but there are a lot of things that people asked for um, and the, that answer either never came or or was never desired you know from me. And that's just a risk that you take. It's a style of filmmaking that I find interesting, yeah. And um, and some people like it, some people don't.
4: As I said, we're not going to we're not going to say a word. So, <laughs> All right. Um, but talking of uh, of Miss Dunst, so you've got Mary Jane Watson, you've got Zod, Kylo, hmm. and then Ty Sheridan's about to be an X Men apocalypse. So you've worked with quite the superhero ensemble. Is this your superhero film?
3: No. <laughs> no uh it's not i don't know what my superhero film would be but but this isn't it. This is a movie about my son yeah, you know um, the fact that the kid shoots laser beams out of his eyes isn't really
4: <laughs> it's by the by. uh
3: yeah <laughs> it's not a great concern to me um, no, I designed this film to be a like a taut um, very compact sci-fi chase film the kind that sure. you would feel out of the 80s kind of like the original terminator or something this this film that has big ideas in it but is is kind of compacted by its um resources almost mm-hmm. you know i wanted it to feel like that and um and that's different than setting up to write a superhero film sure if i wrote a superhero film it'd be a lot different
4: would you go bigger sure yeah
3: yeah no I haven't taken the gloves off yet no (laughs) um i took like one glove off
4: okay yeah that sounds pretty dangerous (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but would you would you ever consider directing someone else's script or letting them direct yours or is that something that's very you know your stories are very personal obviously
3: i used to be more open to it but the older i get and the more i do this less open i am (laughs) you know um i've got a pretty good idea how i do things yeah that doesn't mean i make successful films or even good films but i know that how to make my films and um that's hard to walk away from but at some point the industry will probably force it you know these movies won't make money these movies you know won't get as well reviewed at some point you know it'll be my time to get off the the ferris wheel
4: sure and then you're reteaming with joel edgerton for loving yes what can you tell us about that
3: i'm very excited about it i think um I think I, I rarely say that movies are important. You know, I understand my job in the service industry <laughs> of sure. telling stories and making movies for people. And that for most people, they're fairly disposable. Um, I dare say this is an important film. I think it's a film that people need to watch and need to think about, especially in the U.S., but I think probably everywhere. Um, it's a film that is really just, it's about, it's, it's a love story. And and it's a very very honest love story in my opinion and uh, and yeah it's it's worth people's attention.
4: Well, we can't wait to see it. And very finally, now a little bit more time has elapsed. Take Shelter ending. Can you tell us was it was it real or was it was it all a dream? No. <laughs> That's what we thought. <laughs> Amazing. All Jeff right. Nichols, thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Right. Should we review some movie? singular there's not a lot going on this week <laughs> let's review some movies. let's review some movies. what because, movie shall we review well let's have a think batman versus superman came out last week yes. eddie the eagle it's- came out last week it's a one-two punch that all other distributors are running scared from yeah. apart from the people behind one of the year's most original films victoria yeah john tell us about it
2: yeah well it is very original it's really interesting actually i guess there's two things to say about victoria i mean well there's lots of things to say about victoria obviously but the, the in in broad strokes one the one thing you can say about it is it's an interesting and exciting thriller set in berlin with lots of young people getting up to no good but the the second and perhaps more interesting thing about it is that it's all one take so it's almost two and a half hours long i think and the, the camera does not cut away. There's no editing involved. This this will not be eligible for any Best Editing awards because there's none. It's just one long take, and it's incredible. Uh, so from a purely technical standpoint, it's a hugely impressive achievement. I think, as I understand, this was like the fourth take, the third or fourth take. They had like two or three think, goes.
0: Yeah, I think they did three three full versions right, yeah. of it. Right, yeah.
2: And they sort of improved each time. They They adjusted and yeah. developed each time. Um, it's almost entirely improvised, I think. There was about uh four pages of story, um but it but you know, there's there was no like solid uh, dialogue. So the actors do an incredible job of just essentially making it up as they go along. Um yeah but it's but what's amazing you know there's been many like one shots uh films in the past you know Alfred Hitchcock's rope and mm. uh Children of Men and Birdman um and Russian, Russian ark Russian ark of course yeah and and you know they're all very interesting and you know you sort of always quite aware of of the um of the conceits. it's inevitably slightly gimmicky but i think in this case the story is strong enough that you forget about it i mm. think i think it's um Uh, Exciting and and well-pitched a a thriller uh, as much as anything that you often forget that the camera has not cut away. Uh, And for that, it's, I think, is almost more impressive. Um, So, yeah, the the idea is basically Victoria is uh, a Spanish woman who um, lives in Berlin. She's moved there about three months ago, and she doesn't really know anybody. She doesn't really know the German language. So she's sort of struggling. She feels quite lonely. We meet her in a nightclub. There's some great... Um, German techno pumping to start us off with an amazing soundtrack by the way from Niels Fram who is a really cool sort of German ambience electronic music man lots of electric cellos in there no electric cellos thank Christ
0: (laughs) sorry John go on no it's more sort of like it's even better than that though isn't it it's it's, really good just imagine that
2: but but like good Uh, So, yeah, so we meet her in a nightclub and she's sort of by herself and she's trying to, um, you know, make friends with people and no one really wants to. And then these four uh, rowdy German fellas come up to her and they sort of befriend each other. She starts flirting with one of them. And then the first hour is really nice because it's a sort of... It feels like an authentic, like take on youth culture almost you know yeah. like of, of people just getting up to no good
0: it's almost dazed and
2: confusedy isn't yeah. it to start with yeah definitely it has that real sort of lackadaisical feel and Can it's hand
0: kicking and yeah fun. yeah exactly
2: and they're just sort of running about town getting up to no good um and then eventually they sort of run about town and get up to no good in a more extreme way mm. and it goes a bit sort of you know things go awry one of the gang we sort of soon discover has a bit of a darker past and things take a bit of a darker turn Uh, but the way it does it is is very organic I mean I had a few issues with uh, Victoria's motivations perhaps she seems like quite a good girl and I, I do wonder whether she would be so easily impressionable but it, the, the way it's shot is just incredible and it's it's so visceral and it's so exciting and, you know, 90% of the time you're absolutely gripped to your
0: seats. Um,
2: I, yeah, I absolutely love this film and we gave it five stars. Which
0: we did. I think richly deserved. The performances yeah. are fantastic. It doesn't, you're right, the, the, the one shot thing doesn't feel distracting. You, you kind of forget about it after a while, but it does add so much to the film to be riding shotgun with these, people in a very shallow focused world mm. minding me a bit like son of swords coming out there's a similar thing it's a very disorientating experience to be in a world where you everything in sort of middle to back distance is blurry so it's only the immediacy of what you're seeing is what you're feeling and it, it's very disorientated especially in the second like the final third of the movie where things really kick off mm. um it's really good on so many different levels this film i think um, yeah
2: I, I felt like there, there were times when the conceit sort of tripped up over itself. Like there, there are points because it is all improvised that they waffle on a bit. You know that they're, they're because they're just talking, and you know there are scenes where they're drunkenly flirting, and there's a crying scene. And I felt like that might have, you know, could have benefited from a bit of an edit. It could have been maybe slightly leaner. I mean, it is a long film, mm. um, but but you sort of forgive it. I think I think I I'm willing to to let it off because it is just
0: so brilliantly conceived and executed I wonder if that isn't deliberate that it's a little baggy in the f- first half maybe so yeah the second half yeah. feels that much tighter because yeah. it, it does accelerate and it does yeah very it much kind so. of defies genre in, in a sense but it does very much become a kind of um, pedal to the metal thriller yeah really to end with yeah it really is Um yeah, and I
2: I, I, I would say if you're of, of sort of more blockbustery persuasion, don't be put off by the fact that this is a foreign film. There's they basically speak in English the entire time. You know, Phil was very disappointed to see there's no subtitles. There's really. some subtitles. There are some I subtitles, was, but because yeah. you know she's Spanish and they are German, so they speak in the yeah. common language of English. Um, so you know. If, if you're one of the people... I, you know, I have friends who just refuse to watch subtitled films. Look at Phil. He looks horrified. Look,
0: Phil is what? disgusted. <laughs> Phil is
2: crestfallen. That's, right, that's fine, whatever. His um, Whatever. But, so, so, but, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's an English-language film. I think, in fact, that precluded it from uh, a foreign-language Oscar nomination.
0: Yeah, it is an English-language film. it is an
2: English-language yeah, film. So, there. So, yeah. So, no
0: excuses. Um, go see it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I mean, our review has name-checked... Before Sunrise, which is a film that you do think of in part. And also yeah. I thought a lot about Run, Lola, Run, which yeah. is a, a tighter film in some ways in terms of the runtime. but Lola Rent. Yeah, exactly. And it's a great film about Berlin, which is such a vibrant city anyway and, yeah. and is a great sort of cinema scape for any kind of movie of this type. So, yeah, five stars, well worth checking out. And that is pretty much it for this week, except Ran. Akira Kurosawa's Ran has been... Uh, re-released it in had to 4k be. and we have all day to talk about it guys so the week we that think?
2: phil is in the hot seat and mm-hmm. a kurosawa film gets re-released yeah, I mean, In 4k i feel like maybe chris has been poisoned or something you've like maybe you've,
0: maybe well, subs- no i mean sorry of course this. not no <laughs> uh, i have the con so let's talk about akira Kurosawa's the subtitles ran. must be like a story high is it at the imax uh i don't think they're showing this one at the imax because it's not big enough to contain the majesty of Kurosawa's vision.
1: Um, is your life a lot like Stranger Than Fiction, but instead of having a narrator, you have kind of Polish subtitles that just sort of pop up
0: as you interact with people? Yes, that's exactly what it's like. I thought so. Yes. Just to say that uh, this film is out, we have given this five stars as well when it not when it came out although it was released in 1985 which is kind of interesting because a lot of people might think of kurosawa as the master of old black and white movies like rashomon Uh, and seven samurai Samurai. but this is a real technicolor and he uses color in such a rich incredible way and it ends with one of the most spectacular battle scenes in any movie anywhere and i think if you spoke to people like spielberg about saving private ryan um any great filmmaker that we love they would turn they would name check this film for those sorts of big action sequences um, and I would heartily recommend going to see it at the cinemas on Friday after you've seen Victoria perhaps or picking it up next month or in May, the beginning of May it's out on Blu-ray in 4K. Uh, I think that's an incredible cinematic experience and you should check it out if you can And as an 80s film, the trainers from that film will be available next month from Reebok. They will. They're like a sort of a sandal, Yeah, I think, like a cushion sandal. With a rubber sole
1: and Velcro
0: Um, so that's Akira Kurosawa's Shakespeare Adaptation uh, ran you should check that out Um, and also as we mentioned Eddie the Eagle we reviewed it last week on the podcast so skip back to that one if you want to hear what we thought it was out this Monday Uh, so it sort of falls between two stalls a little bit like Eddie himself and that's it for this week's podcast join us again next week where we'll be joined by question mark um I believe... Is that the Riddler? What's happening? It could be. Edward Nigma. will be We may... Okay, we may not have the guest in place yet, but rest assured, we will not sleep until we find someone suitably awesome. I'm suggesting John McTiernan to come in and personally
1: make Emma Watch die hard. That's not a bad idea. I'm
2: suggesting... uh, Well...
0: Mm. You're about to make an Austin Wales joke. Well, mm,
2: oh, oh, you're it's on slightly shaky ground there. I was there, to aren't think, you? like you know, the BFI director or something, or you know, some film academic can come in and teach you about films.
1: Well, fine. Well, then I'll just get Hans Zimmer to come in
0: and explain to you the joys of the electric cello. Mm. <sighs> <sighs> Great stuff. I'm off to live up to my art house stereotype by going to a new cafe called Maison Seine and chowing down on some spinach just in time for lunch. See you next week. (laughs)